What's up, Danny? How you doing, Tyler? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Just ready for another episode of Fried Squirms. I'm going to talk about another horror movie for y'all people today. I don't know why I'm being so welcoming. <laughs> I think it's because I'm already a little bit high. Nice. Hell yeah, that's where I want to be. <laughs> today we'll end up talking about the horror comedy I Sell the Dead. Before we get there, we're going to have to do our green hats. Mine's simple. Because thanks to shit being on sale, like we mentioned last week, <laughs> I was still very much knee-deep in flour. Hell so yeah. you have another Jack Herrera joint. I love some Jack. Yeah, so I know I'll be a little talkative tonight. <laughs> For me, on the other hand. Yeah, so I got some strains from a new dispensary, wink, wink, <laughs> quote, unquote. So I don't know how much I want to say. They told me that I don't have to mention their name, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. So one of our guests on the show has hooked us up with some homegrown and two different strains. So one of the strains is a raspberry strain. I don't know if this is the specific one, but if it is, this is the information I have, is that it's a indica dominant hybrid, 75% indica, 25% sativa. The raspberry, it's also known as raspberry kush. It's famously crossed with Hindu kush and either raspberry cough or cheese kush. So it, it makes me believe it probably is this because I think I mentioned to mm -hmm. you that it has a little bit of a cheesy head. Yeah, yeah. So I'm almost certain this is. It does have a nice like creamy finish. Okay. Like, yeah, you can definitely taste it on the exhale. This one's really good for people who suffer from like chronic pain, depression, insomnia, muscle spasm, stress. You'll be creative, happy, and relaxed. That's the effects you'll have. The flavors are berry, sweet, and vanilla, and earthy, fruity, sweet, and vanilla aromas. And somewhere in the 16 to 20% range, and we even back and forth, I was like, we probably think it is probably somewhere in that 20 range. I'm almost want to say probably mid-20s, mm. the way it smokes. And for those who are curious about the other strain, it is Royal Spill. This one, it is a cross of Oil Spill and Royal Kush number eight. And see here, I don't have a whole bunch of information on this one, to be honest. Yeah, so this is a hybrid. I don't know the numbers on it, and I don't know exactly how it's going to taste, but they're both homegrown. They'll both knock your dick in the dirt. I can tell you that much. Well, uh... I have a little bit set aside of each of them to try in my vape later, but I'm in the mood to smoke a J, so I also have a J <laughs> with a little bit of both of them mixed in right now, nice. so we'll see what ends up happening. <laughs> awesome, dude. So with that in mind, we're going to start smoking. As we do that, we're also going to get into the guts and bolts of I Sell the Dead. Guts and bolts. Alright, we're here. Guts and bolts. Who and what went into the making of I Sell the Dead? spoiler-free setup get you into this movie a little bit and i'm going to give you the spoiler-free setup a young grave robber who's sentenced to death for grave robbing and murder tells the story of how he got into the business in the first place and how him and his partner started running into a little bit more than they bargained for while selling the dead awesome so yeah, it's a good brief setup of what this film entails. And of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the people who are going to make in the film and the people who act in these films as well. And this week, our director is Glenn McQuaid. And this is a gentleman known for some really interesting projects, one of them being Stakeland Origins, which is a television show that came out in 2011. He directed the segment Tuesday the 17th for the VHS film. And he also directed Five States of Fear for the Chilling Visions film as well. 
All right. Now, Glenn McQuaid is one of the writers. Along with him, we have Ketty Stamo, and she's known for a couple of different Italian things, a couple of documentaries. One's called Camino de Santiago, El Origen. She's also known for They Sell, which is a short film, and the documentary, which was made for TV. It's entitled Dogs, and she helped with Ice on the Water episode. Cinematographer on this is Richard V. Lopez, and Richard, once again, another interesting gentleman. He is known for actually a lot of like television shows, believe it or not, mostly documentaries. More recently, he helped with Roman Empire, which is a TV series documentary, six episodes back in 2016. He also helped with Gold Fever, which was a TV miniseries documentary back in 2013. And I think more famously, he's known for American Playboy, the Hugh Hefner story mm. back in 2017. Our editor was Glenn McQuaid. Music was composed by Jeff Grace. And Mr. Grace, he's got some pretty cool stuff underneath his belt. A lot of horror films, actually. So when you look throughout his catalog, he's known for such things as Skin and Bones, which was an episode of Fear Itself, which was an extension of the Masters of Horror series. He was also the composer for Stakeland, the movie, The Innkeepers. Some people might have heard his work on We Are What We Are. He also helped with Segment N for ABCs of Death Part 2. He helped with The Shape of the Wendigo back in 2015, which was a documentary short. He's also known for composing the music for The Birch, which is a television show. He did 14 episodes of that last year in 2019. <laughs> and more recently, he's got two, well, one, two, three projects coming up. One of them is called Payback, which is in post-production. It's slated for next year's release. He's got a TV series, Sweet Tooth, and another one in pre-production called Don't Look There. And he's also been a part of the music department for some of the Lord of the Rings films as well. Our producers were Larry Fessenden and Peter Folk. Production companies were Glass Eye Picks. The distributor for this was IFC Films for the 2009 United States theatrical release. It had a few release dates, the first one being October 10th, 2008 at Sitges Film Festival in Spain. And then it had its premiere here in the States at the Slamdance Film Festival back on January 16th, 2009. It had an estimated budget of about $750,000, and I do have a tagline for this film, and that one is, never trust a corpse. <laughs> you gave the uh, estimated budget. Do you have the box office? No, because I believe this one, which has hit the film circuits, and then it went straight to DVD. There is a box office listed on the Wikipedia. Nice. And 8000 Yeah, it's like, I would 8, imagine. 50. It had a limited run, probably mm -hmm. just a select few theaters. It makes sense. All right, so moving into our cast, we actually have a really interesting cast if you look at it. So I'm going to lead off with Dominic Monaghan. He plays the role of Arthur Blake. And if you don't know him for anything else, I think two projects mostly. He was in the television series Lost. And oh, yeah, actually here, actually, it was only ever in two theaters. Oh, there you go. I figured with that much, it couldn't have been in very many theaters at all. Its opening was uh, $3,529 in one theater. That's it didn't even bad. open in both theaters, so it probably filled that theater for 3000 Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not bad, dude. Three grand? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You figure, what, 10 bucks a pop? Just shits and giggles? It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Well, good. Good. All right. But with Dominic Monaghan, I did mention, if you don't know him for anything else, you might know him because he was in the television series Lost and because he was also in all three of the Lord of the Rings films, The Return of the King, The Two Towers, The Fellowship of the Ring. So here, just a couple other things of note. He was in X-Men Origins, Wolverine, Soldiers of Fortune, you might have seen him, and Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker as Beaumont Kin. 
And like I did mention, he was in a lot of different television series. It looks like he made some guest appearances on stuff like Ridiculousness and the Eric Andre show, which is really cool. So yeah, that was cool that he was on this project, man. He was also featured in Eminem's video with Rihanna, Love the Way You Lie. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, voiced his character from the Lord of the Rings in the video game series too. Oh. So pretty cool. All right, moving forward. Gentlemen, I've already mentioned before, but we have actor, director, writer, producer, Got his hands on a little bit of everything, but I am talking about Larry Fessenden, and he plays the role of Willie Grimes in this film. And some things of note from Mr. Fessenden, as far as his acting, because he's got a ton of stuff. I'll go back a little bit. He was in the film Bringing Out the Dead as a Cokehead back in 99. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, he was in the live version of Animal Factory back in 2000, which is really neat. I see that recently he was in The Dead Don't Die, which I still yeah, intend to watch me. because of the cast, but I've... I've heard some shit things about yeah. it. But you know what? It's like, <laughs> I'm still probably going to check it out, you know what I mean? Regardless. Dude, the cast is stacked. I know. And there's a couple of those Jim Jarmusch's movies I've seen before. Like, mm -hmm. I like some of his coffee and cigarettes yeah. and stuff like that. Ghost Dogs Jarmusch, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I've seen a couple of his films. I enjoy them. We'll see, but... Some other things of note from Mr. Fessenden, he was in Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. He's been in his film, Stakeland, Silver Bullets, Hellbenders, We Are What We Are. He's also been in such things as Southbound, which is a film I'm kind of curious about, The Transfiguration. And once again, I mentioned he did direct a lot of films. We'll get a little bit into that probably in the next section. All right. And gentlemen, we're very familiar with. We actually talked about him. I, I should have wrote down the episode. I can't remember the episode number, but we talked oh. about him on the episode Kronos. But I am talking about Ron Perlman, and he plays Father Francis Duffy in this. War. War <laughs> never changes. Dude, where do we start with Ron Perlman? Let's we see. start by saying, for the long version, go check out the other episode that we talked about. Oh, man, yeah, for Del Toro. and For today, we should say he is Hellboy. Yeah. He is the Beast. Yeah, from Beauty and the Beast. That still blows my mind, because I grew up watching that and thinking that it was um, Linda Hamilton. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> he is the Fallout narrator. Yeah. Sons and of Anarchy. God. Yeah. Clay Morrow, Sons of Anarchy. Just fantastic actor. If you don't know who the fuck Ron Perlman is. Come on, dude. You've been living under a rock. Come on. Come on. I know. I was like, if nothing else, you've seen the meme go around with that cat that yeah. looks just like him. <laughs> I love that because it's super accurate. He's probably like, stop sending me this shit. <laughs> it pretty much looks exactly the way he looked in the beast makeup. Oh, yeah. And you're right. It really does. It does. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Quest for Fire. Yeah. Right? Old school. Like one of mm -hmm. his, probably one of his first films. He was in Blade Two, mm -hmm. Pacific Rim. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, another film I mentioned. I really like it. I highly recommend it. It's a movie called City of Lost Children. Is that? It's a French movie. It's the same director, if I'm not mistaken, who did Amelie and Delicatessen and a bunch of those films. But man, that's a great film, dude. Highly recommend it. All right, I'm gonna jump a couple of actors in terms of the Wikipedia credits. I'm gonna go straight to our dude. I'm talking about Angus Grimm, Lawrence Worry guy. Guy we've talked about multiple times, mostly because of the Phantasm franchise. R.I.P. Tall Man. I know, dude. Boy. But. Yeah, we'll get into it, but it's weird not hearing him as the tall man. I know it, man. But yeah, just thinking about that. I know he was also in a part of the Masters of Horror series because he was in Don Coscarelli's episode. It's called Incident On and Off a Mountain Road. 
with uh, some really cool actors, man. One of them being uh, Ethan Embry. Narrator for Wishmaster? Yeah. He was in Chopping Mall, which is a film I tried to get into not too long ago. He was also in John Dies at the End. So there was a 2017, apparently, Dances with Werewolves, and that was released posthumously because he did pass away. I know we mentioned that a while back, back in uh, 2016. But, I mean, he lived to be almost 90 years old, so it wasn't like it was cut short. You know what I mean? Right. But, yeah, really interesting guy. One of our guests on the show multiple times, actually, Alex, got to meet him because his brother worked on some film oh, set. Shit. right. Yeah, and he was like, oh, that dude was tall. <laughs> yeah, so if you ever get a chance to talk to Alex, you should ask him about it. It's pretty cool. I know he's mentioned it before. I just always forget because we smoke a lot of weed. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Ain't stopping anytime soon. All right. <laughs> Moving forward, we have Brenda Cooney. She plays the role of Fanny Briars in this film. She's known for some pretty cool films, too. She was in The House of the Devil. She was in The Innkeepers and Stakeland. All right. We have John Spiridakos. He plays the role of Cornelius Murphy in this film. And Mr. Spiridakos is known for such things as The Mind's Eye. He was in a Larry Fessenden film. I mentioned to you last week is the film Wendigo from yeah. 2001. And he was also in the film Inside Man. He's also been in such things as Rules of Engagement. So interesting guy. All right, we have Heather Bullock. She plays the role of Valentine Kelly in this film. She's known for her roles in such films as Stakeland Origins, which is that television series I actually mentioned earlier, in a film entitled Tar Art. And she was also in Freud's Magic Powder back in 2009. All right, we have Alastair Stewart. He plays the role of Bolger. He's a very trustworthy servant, from what I understand, in this film. But He's known for being in such films as House of Satisfaction and the film Dream Girl back in 2008. We have Joel Garland, who plays the role of Ronnie. He's the gentleman that runs The Fortune of War in this film. Some people might recognize him because he was the pool guy in a M. Night Shyamalan film, Lady in the Water. He was in a Gerard Butler film and Jennifer Aniston film, The Bounty Hunter, back in 2010. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was a part of Orange is the New Black television series from 2013 through 2019 as Scott O'Neill. And some people might recognize him because he was in a J-Lo film, Made in Manhattan, as a reporter back in 2002. Sadly, that's probably what I actually remembered him from. Hey, I watched Made okay. in Manhattan a lot when it was on HBO. Nice. <laughs> There wasn't much else to watch. You knew how it went. When you Dude. got that free HBO month. Oh, yeah, yeah. Regardless of what was on, you're going to wear it out. Yeah. yeah. So I ended <laughs> That's up seeing the point. Made in Manhattan quite a bit. It's not the worst film. No. Is it McConaughey's in that? Is that him in there? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that one's McConaughey. Am I thinking of that No, no, one? no. It's, it's, it's this is Ray Fines. Is it Ray F uh, Yeah, it is Ray Fines. Damn. That's fine. Yeah, it is sure well, is. It's here's the other thing. I haven't seen it since it was on HBO. Yeah, Tucci. Yeah, I was just looking at something. It's actually got a pretty decent cast, dude. Francis Conroy, Amy Sedaris. Okay. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins. <laughs> no, I mean, I probably don't actually remember him from that. What I probably remember him from, he was the one that looked the most familiar in this movie to me. What I probably remember him from is Orange is the New Black. Yeah, that, that probably makes a lot more sense. All right, we have Aiden Redmond. He plays the role of Jack Flood, and I'm like, all right, who the fuck is Jack Flood? I found out who it was, so I'm going to save it for next section, but just know that he doesn't get called by that name, and if he does, I don't recall it, and I've seen this movie several times. But anyhow, aside from I Saw the Dead, he was also in the 2010 film entitled Daylight. He was in the 380 episode of Daredevil back in 2016, he was in the film 79 Parts, and more recently, he was in Son of the South as Macomb Sheriff. All right, I've got a couple of other actors, two specifically. 
One doesn't get credited, but I think she should. And another one, I don't know if he should be credited, but he is. Okay. <laughs> All right, and I'll explain. All right, so we have Eileen Coolgan. She plays the role of Maisie O'Connell in this film. She was like the one of the funeral home runners, the old lady. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I don't know why they didn't mention her on Wikipedia, but a couple of films of note from her. She was in the film Far and Away from 92. Coincidentally enough, she was in a Daniel Day-Lewis film, My Left Foot from 1989. And she was also in a shit ton of television series. I think the last one she was in was called Fair City from 2012 through 2013. So wanted to mention her. And the last person I did want to mention is Jonathan M. Preason, or Parison. Goes by Town Folk Number One. And I'm like, what? I was like, what's the significance of this guy, right? I mean, he's been in a few things here and there. Nothing major, to be honest. Little TV spots here and there. But when I read through his biography, I was like, ah, uh, this is probably why they credited him. So when you look at his trivia on the movie database, he is the cousin of actor slash director Danny DeVito. That's fucking funny. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if that's worth mentioning. But anyhow, he's one of the townsfolk. I'm almost certain it's probably towards the first part of the film. Almost like the first scene of this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But okay. uh, yeah, outside of that, that's our cast and crew. I know you gave us a brief setup of what this film entails. Give you a couple of warnings. It's about grave robbing. It means body snatching. And shit goes down. So Some minor spoiler before we go into the spoiler yeah. section. That uh, means various <laughs> kinds of undead, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say there's some undead. There's... <sighs> Not much violence, but there is some violence in this. Like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, not very much, if at all, blood and gore that I can think of. You can see worse stuff on NBC. Oh, no doubt. We have. Hannibal. This <laughs> being an example. Language, drinking. Uh, I don't know, man. This is, it's kind of... Pretty tame overall. I was going to say, it's, it is pretty tame. I mean, it's mostly a, a comedy horror more so than mm -hmm. a horror per se. So, you know, keep that in mind. That should be good for your warning, too. Let's just get into talking about I Saw the Dead. Find out how it made a squeal. How does that make you squeal? I Saw the Dead. How did it make you squeal, Danny? <laughs> well, you brought it to me. You've seen it before. This yeah, yeah. I've, I've had it for quite a while. So to give you a brief history of how I found this film, how I knew about it, etc. I've already mentioned in the past, you know, growing up in South Carolina... And being in my 20s, how I got into film collecting, what have you, and how I came across certain films. So this one, actually, I found at one of the local grocery stores in Spartanburg. And I was like, man, I enjoy it. I mean, for me, I think at the time, the selling point on it was Angus Scrim, you know? Yeah, yeah. Huge Phantasm fan. So anyhow, yeah, after watching it, like I said, enjoying it, I think I bought the copy that I brought over at that grocery store. So... I've had it for quite a while, and this film came out in 2008. I probably got it around 2009, if I'm not mistaken, 2010. Yeah, I would say 2009, probably. Yeah, it's like I said, I've seen it several times. I showed it to Jeff. I say it was earlier this year, maybe last year. So this is when I watch maybe once or twice every other year or so. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with this film. Nice. Yeah, this is my first time I already said that. How does it make you squeal, Danny? What keeps you coming back, I guess? What keeps me coming back is the fact that you don't really get to see a lot of horror movies that deal with body snatchers, mm. specifically, you know? And I like the comedy tandem of Larry Fessenden, who plays Grimes and Dominic Monaghan. I think they work well together. I like a little bit of the comic book aspect of it, like those old EC comics and stuff, like Tales from the Crypt kind of stuff. 
So there's elements like that I like. I mean, it's not the greatest movie you're ever going to watch by any stretch, but it's one that keeps me entertained enough. And I think because it's an accessible film, it's not one that, I mean, we mentioned in the warnings, it's not one that's chock full of shit. This might take you back. This might take you back. Mm-hmm. This one's pretty tame in comparison. And like, this is one I could honestly show my nephews and they'd be fine with it. Yeah. Can't think of anything that... Nah. At this point, they've seen a lot worse. And we've already mentioned there's primetime TV stuff that's way worse than this. Cool. Yeah. How did it make me squeal? This movie's fine. I feel like it's maybe not as good as you would think going into it having both Ron Perlman and Dominic Monaghan in it. But that doesn't mean it's bad. And I do really like the ideas in it. I guess I'll I'll get to that a little bit. I do think it makes sense... After I watched it the first time and I went to look up information on it, that it was based on a short film that got expanded. Right. Because it doesn't feel like one contiguous film. It feels like four or five bits that are just stacked back to back to back. Yeah, I know what you're saying. In both kind of a fun way that keeps it hopping along, but also in a way where you're like, I wish there was an actual story here. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, there's a story, but it's so fucking simple. And It like, really is. Both of the twists, I guessed, pretty early on in the movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's It doesn't do anything that's like, oh man, this is groundbreaking or like blows the lid off. But because it does carry a certain beat, you know, it's an easy one to follow. Yeah, there's some stuff that's on the nose. But, you know, every now and then, I mean, just for something like a comedy horror, I think it's a fun one. The comedy part. So that was the other part that was a little bit weird to me that I don't mind. But the only way for me to talk about it is going to sound like I'm kind of putting it down a little bit. For being a comedy horror, it's both not very horrific and not very blatantly comedic. It like borders on being kind of like a workplace comedy where the comedy (laughs) is in the fact that they're not ever changed by anything they're running into. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of they barely react appropriately. (laughs) Yeah. It's more just like this is our day to day for a little bit. Yeah. It's just kind of a glimpse into the life. And maybe that's kind of a good segue of like the story itself and Mm -hmm. how it develops and what the whole point is. So early on. We get the opening credit sequence, which was done by director Glenn McQuaid, which is, you know, it's not bad. That was pretty decent. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with a guy we learn that is Willie Grimes being led to the guillotine in a town square, you know, and it comes down to the point where he does get his head lopped off. Once again, it goes back into that little bit of a title sequence, whatever, you know, kind of framing it like comic book and stuff like that. And then what we get is the introduction of two of our other main characters, Ron Perlman, who plays Father Francis Duffy, which, spoilers, because we're in the spoiler section, he's a Murphy, which mm-hmm. we'll explain what that is. And Dominic Monaghan's character is Arthur Blake, which is the partner of Willie Grimes, who we got to see beheaded in the opening scene. So the whole point is, is Father Duffy's wanting to, I don't know if necessarily a confession, but he does want to get more of an insight into their operation, meaning Blake and Grimes's body snatching business, right? And he keeps making references back to the House of Murphy. He wants to know specifically the last time they had bumped into each other. Mm -hmm. I will admit that for like the first like third of this movie, that had me off in a different way where I was just like, 
I wasn't guessing he was a Murphy quite at that point. I was just like, oh, there's something deeper going on. I wonder if there's going to be like they're involved in some sort of specific magic ritual because it's already starting to get weird or like. Yeah. And then I don't know. At some point, a third of the way through. I can't remember what Dominic Monaghan says. He says something about the Murphys, though, and the reaction Ron Perlman gives. I'm like, oh, he's That's pretty the obvious. father. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, oh, fuck me. He's the father. But. Yeah, I mean, they don't really shroud it in mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pretty easy to put together. But, yeah, the whole point is, is he's just wanting to glean some insight, right, into their operation. So it starts off with Dominic Monaghan. He's telling him, he's like, you know, I met Grimes. I was real young. He pretty much lived with his mom, his we learn what happened with his dad later on in the film and his baby brother, right? So he's got to take care of his family. And so Grimes takes Arthur Blake underneath his wing and it's, you know, your typical get down in there, dig the grave, get it out. Well, that mm-hmm. shit, you know, and it comes to a point where it looks like Grimes might hit him over the head after he drops the whiskey flask. And he's like, he didn't have it in him. He's not that guy, which he's already intimating that they're not violent people. They don't have it in themselves to kill they're just body snatchers. So already he's planting an early seed. It doesn't make a fuck difference to Father Duffy, Father Murphy. Mm-hmm. He's just giving you the idea that, like they don't kill. Anyway, after that point, it gives you some more insight into their jobs, things like that, how they got acquainted with a Dr. Vernon Quint, who was trying to do medical advancements for science. You know, we have to mention, I don't know if we did, this has taken place what, sometime in the 1800s. Yeah, it seems like... 1880s, 1890s, maybe? Yeah, I would say somewhere around that time period. Makes sense. So they're under his thumb. And because of that, Quint uses what they do as blackmail, right? And he threatens them with the law. (laughs) So they have to do his dirty work in order to get bodies. So they mention at one point, there was one job that turned everything around, right? From them being just typical body snatchers to becoming ghouls. So a ghoul, for those who are unaware, uninitiated, is the difference is body snatchers, they steal dead bodies specifically, right? Whereas a ghoul will steal just about anything dead or other. And we've already intimated there's some weird undead, not weird, but you know, there's some other undead stuff going on in here. Like you said, part of the interesting thing about this movie is just the fact that it's dealing with like body snatching as a profession. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that... I feel used to come up in like maybe like pulp literature a little bit more often, like older horror, but because it's just harder and dumber to do these days. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to bring into a modern context and have it make any amount of sense. Yeah, When you think of how everything has changed from certain time periods to now, like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) You're going to get caught like real easy, dude. Knock that shit off. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) But yeah, at one time, I could imagine, just because of the way things were, that this kind of shit was, like, mind-blowing. Like, I guess one of the weirder taboos you can do. But I wonder if they pulled that definition of ghoul forward from something that people used to actually know. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if it used to be a quote-unquote actual term, or if they made it up for the movie. Because usually, in a horror context... A ghoul is sometimes undead, sometimes not, but usually just like a mindless creature that'll eat anything, including corpses, yeah. and they're sometimes linked to vampires. That's what I was going to say. I'm more familiar with it in that context, right? More so than like what I just described here as a different type of body snatcher, you right. know? 
they don't just get dead bodies they get other shit too and that's what makes me wonder like yeah it, it probably was it's probably borrowing some elements from that supernatural and just like oh this is just another i don't know though i mean it'd be kind of neat to look it up yeah maybe do, but... in the history of yeah. fictional body snatchers ghouls were a thing Exactly. Or maybe that was a term that was used. Because there was a term later in this movie that I had to look up that's legit like a term. Me too. And it might have been, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it's the same. Well, <laughs> let's just, interested. I mean, this is the part we can jump around. Oh, yeah, so yeah, fuck yeah. it. Let's, let's see if we both wrote down the same thing. Later on, when they're on the beach, Murphy calls him a Slovene. Okay. No, that's not one of them. <laughs> I had to look that up because I was like, what the fuck did he just say? Yeah. It's a legit word that means an untrustworthy or cunning person. Yeah, used in Ireland and Newfoundland. Wow, that's pretty cool. No, there was a word that Maisie O'Connell, as I mentioned earlier, the old lady that runs that funeral home. Where I thought that scene was kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of goofy, but mm-hmm. where the young Arthur Blake goes in that funeral home because there's a fresh cadaver, you know, and he pretends like it's his aunt, and he winds up doing what he does anyway. There's a word that she Saying uses. He, do what he does what he does makes it sound way dirtier than. Well, it actually yeah, is. I mean, I'll. <laughs> All right, I'll spell it out, I suppose. But he fools that family, like Maisie, I, I'm guessing that's probably her sons or whatever, nephews, whoever the fuck they are, just dudes who work for her. But he tricks them into making them think that that's his aunt in the casket, right? Mm-hmm. And so he needs some time. Once they leave the room, he ties the door together with some string. He rigs the coffin so they, being he and Grimes, can pull it out. Anyway, before that... When they were talking about the corpse, the lady, she says something to the effect like she died from something that started with the P word. I oh, remember. the pleurisy. Yeah. And I was like, I've never heard that term before. But I looked it up and it has something to do with your lungs where like they cave in or some shit like that. I was like, damn, I didn't even know that was a word. <laughs> that might have been the first time I ever looked it up. But I thought it was interesting regardless. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was the one word. Like, I didn't know what that was, but I had to look it up too. So two different words. We learned something new. It's cool. See, this was neat, too. When they get up to the case that changes, I immediately knew what it was because everything they were describing was classic folklore for keeping a vampire down. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they make it, like, super obvious when you get to the garlic. (laughs) But even when they were like, why is it buried at a crossroads? I was like, oh, shit, vampire. Yeah. So (laughs) that was something I remember the first time watching, too. I was like, okay, you've got my interest now. You know, you're not just dealing with dead bodies you're starting into a little bit more of the supernatural, which I think this is where, you know, with the body snatching stuff too, it kind of deviates. It makes it maybe a little bit more interesting, you know? So I thought it was funny because we've already mentioned Angus Scrimm's character. He keeps wanting more fresh bodies and he keeps demanding it. And they were like, you know, this one job, we had to go past the Moors. We've talked about the Moors before because of an American werewolf in London, right? The way they say, you stick to the road, stay off the Moors. (laughs) You know, so anyway, like you were saying, they go out, they find the body buried at the crossroads. They say that the likely cause of why she's buried out there is the church probably excommunicated her, possibly because she committed suicide. So it's frowned upon. Anyway, find the corpse. You're right. Had garlic on her neck. Dominic Monaghan takes it off. He's like, yeah, you probably should keep that on there. <laughs> and they go to pulling off the stake. <laughs> These fucking idiots. But the thing I think I liked about it, there's an exchange that they have. Burke and Grimes or Dominic Monaghan, you know, they see her and he's like, Grimes, Arthur. And he says that. And as soon as he turns, he's gone. Grimes is fucking gone. <laughs> 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 like, this motherfucker. 
And uh, yeah, Dominic Monaghan has his encounter with the vampire. You know, she's levitating towards him. And it's goofy. It's meant for comedy where he's taking the steak out, putting it back in. He's like, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, doubtfully ever inspired by it, actually. <laughs> But with us having watched it so recently, that just reminded me of the blood mm. on the Gyeongsi's That's a good point, yeah. Forehead. It really is. <laughs> that was pretty good. I, I really liked that part. That was good. I love that it's not just vampires they're running into. Right. The alien is weird. The that, alien is one of those things. With, that yeah. bit is one of the things that makes me say... This doesn't feel like a coherent story. This feels like they came up with five or six bits that yep. they can just stack on top of each other. Yeah. But it's a great idea. Like, it expands no, the it universe does. so it, much. It really does. And I think they probably had intentions to carry out mm -hmm. their escapades. But you're right, because they are layered differently. So after their encounter, they set it up Vernon Quint, the doctor, right? <laughs> it's known that part of the reason Angus Scrim was hired for this is because he worked on a project, I believe, with Larry Fessenden, and they hit it off pretty well. Ron Perlman worked with both Larry Fessenden and Glenn McQuaid on a film they did together, an independent mm. film. Anyhow, long story short, is Angus Scrim could play the violin, so that's part of the reason why, you know, he's like, I'll do this film if you let me play the violin <laughs> in a scene. And so they're like, okay, we'll take you up on it. And yeah, so he does. He plays the violin for the corpse. It was already intimated earlier that he does that for corpses. And unbeknownst to him, he's dealing with a vampire. We don't see it, but you hear the screams. The thumb rule is over. They're starting to hit their business pretty good. They're starting to find a little bit of fortune, right? You've already talked about their encounter with the alien, which I'll lead to. But this is where Murphy, Ron Perlman, he's like, I'm more curious about House of Murphy, your rival gang. I'm more curious about mm -hmm. that. So he's like, you know, all right. There is, he tells him about the grave where they go out. It's a frozen grave. It's the only plot in that graveyard cemetery that was frozen. And it took a long time for them to dig it out. Is there any part of like alien lore that makes the frozen thing make any sense? Or was that just to make it harder on them? Uh, Probably a little bit of both. And a little bit weirder. I think probably a little bit of both. Like, what's in the box? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Because that was the one thing I was, after they yeah. did the vampire thing so accurately, I was like, well, like the only step that they didn't go to was like <laughs> actually cutting off her head and shoving it full of roses or garlic. Oh, yeah. Just, you know what I mean? Exactly. Dude. When it got to the <laughs> alien, I was like, wait, are aliens supposed to be cold? I never heard that. I, yeah, like, I, I don't know. No, I mean, nobody maybe. ever said like when they went to apply the fucking anal probe, <laughs> it was harder going in because of how much the cold made uh, me fucking pucker up. But. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know for certain. Perhaps I don't know. Whatever. It, it was, was different. a fun little gag. Yeah, it was kind of funny because when they finally do get it open and they're like, "Oh, he's not that heavy," and they start to carry him off, and that's when they run into Cornelius Murphy. You know, and he's like, you want to drop that body and let me have it? And, you know, Grimes is like, he doesn't know. He's still wet behind mm -hmm. the ears. Dominic's like, no. And so they start to wrestle over the body. And then I read that this is where Dominic Monaghan had a little bit of input. He was the one he suggested to do the, like, overhead crane shot. Oh, okay. Of the light. And so that's what happens is, like, because they're wrestling, trying to do all that, it just flashes. And it's kind of funny because, you know, Dominic is like, my head hurts. I was like, surprised was that? that there wasn't a fucking my ass hurts joke after that. <laughs> well, considering some of the jokes in this film, I did write down a few and I'll mention those later, but I, well, I think yeah. I think the best joke for me in the movie is when it's still a young Arthur Blake. <laughs> and he's like, We need to discuss my salary. And <laughs> yeah. they walk by the fucking whores 
And she's like, when are you going to make me an honest lady and all this shit? Yeah. And as they're walking away, he's like, we really need to discuss my salary now. Now. Yeah, now. <laughs> Another one a little bit along the way is Ron Perlman talks about the reason why he does what he does. He's like, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time getting stories from men. And then Dominic Monaghan's like, he's like, oh, is this the first time you've paid to be alone with man, father? <laughs> yeah, Ron Perlman didn't like that shit. Long story short is... That was their first kind of encounter with the House of Murphy, with Cornelius. Mm -hmm. You know, he even threw a fucking knife at him. They dodged it. And he told Dominic Monaghan that he, he liked his brass, you know. He's like, if you ever want to ditch this guy, join House of Murphy, right? All right, so with that being said, I've already mentioned earlier that Perlman's like, just tell me your last. I don't care about all your stories. I didn't pay to hear all this. You've only got a limited time, mm -hmm. right? He's like, tell me the last encounter you had with the Murphys. And so he's like, all right. This is where they get Fanny, which is their new apprentice, is also Arthur Blake, Dominic Monaghan's bird. Dude. <laughs> she's, she's never done a job. No, and she's fucking nuts. <laughs> she is. She's cuckoo. So they have a drinking contest at Fortune of War, right? Pretty cool. It's a nice little scene. And this is where they learn because Ronnie comes up to him and he's like, I have a job for you. I want to talk business, right? And he tells about Maisie O'Connell, I was talking about from earlier, where she had an encounter because now she's working at a local mortuary and I kind of like a ticker. They're like, do you know? <laughs> but apparently she ran into some kind of creature or something. And we, we learned what it was. But Ronnie, the owner of Fortune of War, like gets her all fucking liquored up, mm -hmm. makes her drink all night so she can spill the beans. He offers her carriage ride home. And inside the ride, we learned that there was three crates that were supposed to arrive. Only one of them showed up, right? And the one, because she pries it open, happened to be like a zombie, you know? And she's like, there's supposed to be two others, but they crashed. They're supposed to be on Longles Island. So good news is that there are still two crates out there. The bad news is, is House Murphy's got the job, right? And as soon as the two guys hear that, Grimes and Blake, they're like, yep, no, we're done. Not even worth it. And she's like, what do you mean? Fanny, that is. So like, girl, you don't know. You don't know anything. You've never done a job. You need mm -hmm. to pump the brakes, <laughs> right? So a little bit later on that night, after they learn all those details, Blake and Fanny having, you know, discussion in bed, and she's enticing them, and she's like, you know, don't be a coward. Yeah, make it worth your while. This could be a nice little job, a nice payday. We can get there before the Murphys get in, get out, whatever. And so should have got in and got out. <laughs> yeah, it'd be smart, right? Again, it's going to take a little bit more enticing, Fanny. You going to show me your Fanny, Fanny. All right. So anyway, next thing we get is Grimes is in a rowboat with them. They're heading out real late at night to the island. This is where Dominic Monaghan tells them about his dad and how he got eaten up by some kind of creature. <laughs> you know, that's why he doesn't like going out on these waters. And they were supposed to bring a cross with them. This is some of the funny shit. <laughs> I do. He's like, you know. You bring your crucifix. Yeah, you bring your crucifix, your crucifix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got it right here. Whoopsie daisy. Why they didn't turn the fuck around right there? <laughs> I know, because the next thing you hear is like these grunts and growls and shit. I'm like, uh-uh, no fucking way, right? Just the shrieking eels. <laughs> yeah. So this is also where you get a little bit more detail about the House of Murphy clan. I think Dominic Monaghan's the one who's kind of spelling out. He's like Samuel Spider Murphy. He's a leader. No one knows his, you know, give you a little the background. Intro things, like all the stylistic things they yeah, did in cool. this were kind of fun. And they sort of, another thing that sort of set it apart a little bit. Thought so too. 
So what we learned from him is he likes to gouge out eyes, usually with like a three clawed hammer or whatever it is, a hook hammer or whatever. And then we learned about Cornelius Murphy. We already ran into him, but he's a bone grinder. He likes to sniff up bones of the corpses and he's a mean bastard. Mm-hmm. No sense of humor. Valentine Murphy, the quote unquote right hand man. But we learned that she was burned by her lover on Valentine's Day. And yeah. Her face is all fucked up. Yeah. It's gone all the time. (laughs) Right. And then this is also where we learn about the Bulger, which is a loyal servant. And he had dog teeth grafted onto his gums. So, you know, this is the little gang. So by the time they do arrive on the island, we see that... The dog teeth were pretty gnarly. They were. They're not bad. I was like, they did a pretty good job with that. So the Bulger is out there on the island, right? I guess he's waiting on the Murphys. And Fanny sneaks up behind him and slits his fucking throat. (laughs) That's right. That was apparently done in one take. Oh, nice. Not bad. Yeah, it looked pretty decent. So there's a little bit of blood, a little bit of gore. Not much, but there it is. And they're like, that was also one of those things where I'm like, you just spent like a minute telling me about each one of these fuckers just for you to have go up and slice the throat of one of them. That was quick. I know, right? And (laughs) damn Suicide Squad. (laughs) Basically, and Dominic Monaghan, he's like, whoa, whoa, that wasn't part of the deal. And like, they're ready to call it quits and just go back now. Like, Mm -hmm. do you know what you just done? This is your first job. What are you doing? (laughs) I was feeling the same thing. Yeah, I was like, that's not cool. They're going to find that. We're fucked. We got to get out of here now. (laughs) Nope. That's not part of the plan. Could have been in and out. Yep. She winds up talking to the guys into popping open the first crate. And it's funny because I forgot exactly how this played out. But they find a bloody stump, a foot that is, in it. Right? And they're like, what the fuck? And then the second one bursts open. And, you know, there's a little bit of comedy there where he's attacking Grimes and they're having their little duel. And I think they wind up getting him into the cage. But as that's happening, you see a fucking knife flying, hitting Fanny right in that forehead, takes her out. And it's Cornelius Murphy and Valentine Murphy. It's like, we told you. Yep. Told you. Bolger's dead. Fanny's dead. You've got one of the zombies. We know it's not the one missing the foot. Mm-hmm. That's apparent as soon as it jumps out. But anyway... They tie up Blake and Grimes to the fucking cage that, and it's a wooden cage, so it's not sturdy at all. It's not (laughs) at all. It doesn't make sense, but I kind of dug the fact that the zombie was being pretty cool about the fact that they were just sort of stuck to it. Like, it wasn't really attacking. It was kind of fucking with them, too. I like that. It was funny. All right. I mentioned Jack Flood, right? One of the, that's Jack Flood. Oh, that zombie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. They never mentioned him by name, and I had to look the guy up. I was like, oh, okay, that's him. Anywho, I like the fact that he's fucking with them, like touching them. The mm-hmm. zombie, that is, like fucking with both the guys. And it's not until Valentine Murphy takes off her mask and starts walking toward them, and, you know, the guys are giving their facial expressions. <laughs> and the zombie's, zombie's, zombie's like, too. I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> he busts out, and I do have to mention, during their tussle, Grimes and the zombie, it bit Grimes. Right. And he shows it, and you see the, you know, the chunk. Here's the thing. Even before we get to the beach, yeah, and this is in the spoiler section, I had guessed that Grimes was going to be undead. Yeah, you can kind of glean from it after a bit. Some of their conversation when they meet back up indicates that maybe Arthur didn't know that for 100% for sure. Mm-hmm. The casualness of the way he would talk about somebody that he was in business for like 10 years being dead and the fact that he kept yeah. mentioning him still yeah. in the present tense without like being sad about it 
or being like, oh, fuck, that's right. He would just oh, be like, shit. anyway. Yeah. I was like, okay, so he's... He kind of knows what's up. I mean, not kind of, but you know what I'm, I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm like, they've already ran into a, a vampire and they ran into an alien. Yeah. They've seen some weird shit. So... Zombies. A zombie would make sense or just something that could turn... Reanimation, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that already made sense to me. So I was like, okay, so he's going to be a fucking zombie and he's going to be the one to save him at the end. And that was one of the things I didn't like about this movie was how yeah. easily guessable it was. But we're going to get to what I really enjoy about this movie. Nice. So. Yeah. So, yeah, long story short is once the zombie bursts out, it attacks both Valentine and Cornelius. It appears that it's taken both of them out. Also, we find out that the missing foot zombie jumps in and helps attack the Murphys. That's when uh, Arthur and Grimes are out of there. But... Because of all the shit that transpired, you know, they're back at the Fortune of War. And Ronnie's like, you know, take that shit elsewhere. But that's where they have the fallen out because, mm-hmm. you know, because of the job, what happened, all that shit. And that's where Arthur, Dominic, is like, you know, that's the last time I've seen him. He's like, you know, we were arguing like a bunch of old women. <laughs> and, you know, years of friendship ended over this. And then, of course, Father Murphy reveals himself, even though we kind of knew, you know. Mm-hmm. And, he's, you know, he starts to club him. He's done with his shit. He's basically saying, you know, Murphy's deserve it. They were pieces of shit, (laughs) you know. And right before he gets that last whack in, our boy saves the day. He hits him with some kind of metal bar or some Mm -hmm. shit, like slices his head, you know. And like, so we find out he's a part of the undead now. They're back together. Everything seems hunky-dory. They walk off screen, and that seems to be the end of that, you know. So here's kind of an interesting thing, too. Right before the end credits roll, there is... Uh, like something written out to the effect of um, a good cast is worth repeating. And that's supposed to be taken from like the old 30s, 20s, 30s Hollywood, 40s Hollywood, especially with like their old horror films, RKO and what have you, Universal. That was a part of something they used to do. Okay. And so I think that's part of why they did that too. But they did have plans on doing a sequel to this as well. So I think that's probably part of the reason too why it left off the way it ended. Well, I was going to say, because it ends with you find out Murphy yeah, lived right, right, or right. was resurrected in some way himself. Yeah, he like just jumps up out of the water. So, mm-hmm. you know. So this is one of those movies where, like I said, it's fine. I liked it far more than I didn't. Like, yeah. But it's nothing super special. I've been thinking about it since I watched it because it's one of these types of movies that make me wonder like, do I have it in me to write like a television show? Because this would make a fantastic oh, yeah, TV fun. series. Just their misadventures. <laughs> yeah. It's the story of them gradually, accidentally becoming like an old timey supernatural. Yeah, dude. Out of simply just trying to make a buy. Like I said, the way the movie's set up is kind of a bunch of little bits anyway. Exactly. And it's kind of set up already in sitcom y type humor where the characters never change. Right, Even right. in the part of him retelling the story where supposedly they're starting to make money and doing pretty well for themselves, they're not any different than they were before. No, no, no. They're saying bumbling idiots using the shitty carts. <laughs> Which is something <laughs> you know? very sitcom-y. It really now, is. I wouldn't want a television adaption of this necessarily to be a sitcom. Right, But right. it's one of the things that it has shows too. how easily you could put yeah. this concept over. Because at this point, you're playing off like the buddy you know, the two mm-hmm. buddies, you know, like the odd couple in a sort, I suppose. But I do feel like this could be very episodic if somebody wanted to do it. It'd be that simple. They've given you these long overarching villains and some of their backstories, even right. though they did it just to kill one 10 <laughs> yeah. seconds later. Yeah, it didn't take long. 
All of that is shit you can, you can use for yeah. the big overarching stories. You have amazing just monster of the week potential as they continue to run into these fucking wacky different supernatural entities as they're just trying to find some fucking fresh bodies. Yeah, that's it. That's all. I mean, that's what they do. Sell it back um, to the universities. One thing I would do, if I were to make it into a show, I would set it maybe even 10, 15 years earlier in the American Old West. Mm. Partially just because you have more room to deal with. So it's easier to, like, have them out on their own, running into this shit. That'd be some cool mythology. Yeah, without having to deal with being in a city or something. As much as you would have to deal with as simply being stuck, like, on England. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. and I think you'd have a really cool, like, unknown factor, too, because of the vastness of Mm -hmm. the landscape, too. Yeah, some cool stuff you could play with. If the show went long enough where you got into the part where they're doing good in their career, you could have like a season where they go to fucking England. Yeah. And encounter shit over there. Maybe if it's later in their career, that means they're getting over there around the same time that Bram Stoker's writing Dracula. Look, this shit writes itself. (laughs) I need to 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 not give away this fucking idea. I need to fucking man up and write a fucking TV series, I think. I think a really cool thing about this is is the fact that we can expound upon this story, right? Because there's a lot of cool things that you can play with within it and uh, further it if somebody chose to do it, you know? I think it would be fun. I think it'd be worthwhile because it is something that is different. We already mentioned that before. There's not very many films I can think of that specifically deal with two dudes or just body snatchers, mm-hmm. you know, without some kind of weird sexual or sinister plot or idea behind it. So, you know. and, and the fact that they end up specifically trying to go after like <laughs> supernatural corpses is even more interesting. That's a big field you can play in. Because normally you have like these hunters and stuff are like they're trying to rid the world of evil (laughs) or these monsters are preying on mankind. (laughs) And they're like, no, we just need the body to fucking sell it to this guy over here who I don't know what the fuck he's. Yeah, we're just we're just trying to get, you know, a round of pints and something to eat. And that also opens up a whole other revolving cast of characters that you could introduce with who the fuck are buying some of these things. Yeah, we don't know that. There's a shady underworld, perhaps. I mean, we know the universities, but there's it goes beyond that. And how do these two just sort of normal, hardworking guys interact That's, with that? I like that, man. You're right. I think it's a lot of really, really good <laughs> ideas. It's just the movie itself is... Eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Just like, it's, it's fun. It's not, like I said, it's nothing that's going to blow your skirt up or pop the lid off. But like I said, I like it just because it is a simple film. There's some comedy beats. You've got actors that are well-known now. It's cool to see them in an independent film. And um, like I said, it's I think it's just an easy one to put. You can also put it in the background, and it's interesting enough. Like, what the fuck was that? Right. <laughs> you know, was that an alien? Was that? Was, you know what I mean? So I think there's interesting enough things going on where it's, like I said, it's, it's not a bad film. It just kind of breaks the monotony a little bit of some gory stuff, you know, things like that. So it's not bad. And I mean, it's always nice seeing Dominic Monaghan and Ron Perlman. Yeah, it's like, I know going into this film, too, that Monaghan is not a fan of horror. Like, he didn't even want to be in a horror film, but because of the element and, you know, he said there's three elements usually he looks for in choosing his roles is he's got to have a good script, have to have a good cast, and, um, you know, he likes to have his input, too. You know, he, he wants to be able to have a little bit of freedom with that, and they gave him that, so it's part of the reason why he was on board. Ron Perlman joined 
I've already mentioned because he had associations, but initially he didn't want to do it because he had kind of some conflicting ideas with the script. And mm. so McQuaid rewrote it with his partner and they sent it back and he liked it. I think he only was on for three days and it was mostly sure. after everything had been wrapped. Yeah. He only had a small part and they, you know, it's Ron mm -hmm. Perlman. So they're like, yeah, we're going to write you a part, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to include you in this story. So there's stuff like that. You know, I thought that was kind of neat. Some of these association games and these independent guys. So it was kind of neat seeing that. Hell yeah. I don't know. I think that's about all I really have to say about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's fine. I think it's one too. Like if you're. There's no like big underlying theme that nah, we need to talk about no, from no. it. Like it's not a meditation on the ennui of our generation or anything. <laughs> no, it, it's, no, 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 no. It's like, it's a simple story, dude. <laughs> but I was going to say, I think for people too, who like maybe a little bit of that comic book element. Yeah, they're probably yeah, like this a little bit. That's pretty cool. It's some pretty fun animation little bits. Yeah. Like, it's it's not bad. It's like really said, neat stylizing. It's something that nobody's making it into a TV show. <laughs> if somebody makes it in my head when somebody makes uh, it into a TV show, it keeps that. We'll present this episode as evidence that we talked about it before it was created. Yeah. <laughs> we want to cut. <laughs> I don't have much more to say outside of that. Yeah. You know what I have to say? We have next week picked out. We do, man. We've been we've been astute about figuring this out, but because we have our Christmas coming up, it makes it a little bit easier. Next week's going to be Rare Exports. Dude, fun film. And then we don't have the week after that figured out, <laughs> but we have figured out that we're probably going to go do something nasty. Ooh, I like nasty. I know you do too. So be on the lookout for that. Oh, yeah. As I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, you know, getting to Christmas and finishing off 2020 because fuck 2020. I mean, yeah. that doesn't automatically mean 2021 is going to be any better. But <laughs> know, seriously, right? getting out of 2020 is just going to make me feel better. So I know, man. The 20s have already started off on the wrong fucking foot big time. Right. So that's what we have going into all of that. So for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Um. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.